everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, a show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing. Very often, those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show, or it's a rejoinder episode, which this is. I'm rejoined by Charlene Elsby to talk about her new book, The Devil Thinks I'm Pretty, out from Apocalypse Party Press. She's a philosophy doctor and former professor whose works include Hexus, Affect, Psychros, Agony, Musos, Letters to Jenny Just After She Died, Bedlam, The Devil Thinks I'm Pretty, and Violent Faculties. Her essays have appeared in Bustle Books and the LA Review of Books. Before we get into my conversation with Charlene, let's go ahead and ask you for money. Please give me money. Patreon.com slash NoisemakerJoe is a good place to give me a recurring donation of just $2 a month, where you will get episodes a couple days early. You can also throw me a one-time donation over at paypal.me slash NoisemakerJoe, or you can buy my book. It's called Tired. You can find it on Amazon. If you don't have any cash to spare, but you still want to help out the show, that is okay and just as useful. Go ahead and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, if that's a feature of wherever you listen to those podcasts. Post about it on social media. Tell a friend in person or over the phone or otherwise. Just listen to the show all the way to the end. Uh, That helps the metrics and the algorithms just as much as well. Now, without further ado, let's get into my conversation conversation with Charlene. Well, I I told you before we started recording that I would mention this in the show, and let's just start out with it. Uh, Longtime fans of the show will probably guess, and and you, I think, even knew when you, like, reached out to me about the book, uh, that The Devil Thinks I'm Pretty is, like, the perfect book for me. There's, there's a couple different silos of literature that I really, really like. I like really weird avant-garde stuff I can't possibly hope to understand. I like Tolkienian fantasy. I like uh, horror on spaceships. And I like scummy teenagers doing scummy teenager things. And uh, The Devil Thinks I'm Pretty has very scummy teenagers doing very scummy things. Um, I'm, I'm so fascinated with the ending and I do not want to spoil it. Um, what, what do you think? Should we tell people, should we dive into spoilers? This, I suppose, would be the time to tell people about, uh, if we're going to do that or not. I mean, uh, we don't have to say exactly what happens, Okay, but people know there's like a shift in form at the end. Mm-hmm. Okay. We can talk about. Okay. Let me just say, I knew that you were going to love this book because I listened to your episode with Yeager. Yeah. And yeah where you were like scummy teenagers and i'm like yes this is gonna be my negative space for joe this is yeah um and also from apocalypse party if ben were smart and he seems to be he (laughs) he needs to have some sort of bundle a negative space the devil thinks i'm pretty bundle uh you know bundle yeah i i think that would be i think that would be a good idea i'm not gonna tell him how to run his press but if he no. were listening uh, and wanted to do that, that would, I think that would be a fantastic idea. Um, call it the Joe Bundle. Yeah, call it the Joe Bundle. Use promo code Joe at checkout at apocalypseparty.com and, uh, <laughs> and maybe something will happen. Um, so there's a, there's a whole lot in this book um, that was really fascinating to me. Um, I think one of the themes is the theme of agency, which is maybe something that we kind of, I don't know if we, we used that word very much when we initially spoke, um, in our full length episode, but certainly that was, um, I think part of, um, how I was feeling about, about, uh, your, 
other work. Um, and the narrator of this new book really kind of like points to how um, certain people just don't get certain types of agency. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, let's let's kind of talk about that. What was it was obviously very intentional on your part. It was very intentional on my part. Yeah. And yeah, I didn't remember the exact part. Somebody put it on Twitter the other day um, where it's like, you know, there are some people who do things and some people where things are done too. Mm -hmm. and, uh, the exact shift was when the devil becomes fully manifest and all of a sudden she feels like a person who matters, right? Mm -hmm. And that's very intentional especially because like the devil is the uh the supernatural form and that's like it goes all the way back to aristotle where you know as humans we have the capacity to like be passive and have potency and have things done to us and that is what disappears when we get into the divine realm mm -hmm. and it's because of our material form that that happens uh that people are you know they gaze upon us and they can affect us and we have the capacity for perception that the, the greater beings just don't have so yeah. Yeah, that whole framework was definitely at play yeah and i think that's um when she starts um you know influencing other people and she starts like flirting with uh, like being a psychopath a little bit um like uh i think that's that's where i i really started getting entertained um and and from my perspective and I, i've kind of touched on this before in other episodes the main reason i like scummy teenager books is because i was like adjacent like a lot of my friends were the sort of diet coke version of of the kids and the devil thinks I'm pretty in negative space and you know any of the pros that back patio press has put out and that kind of stuff like you know th they didn't necessarily go down quite as dark a path but the potential was there and then my potential was basically just like if my parents paid x amount less attention to me it would have been very easy you know especially as I, I grew up and my my really my bad relationship with alcohol in my 20s and stuff like very clearly like if four decisions had been made differently um in my teens these books would would be probably too real for me um and so like i really enjoy uh to look at that sort of alternate reality version of myself um and I think there's something to, I, I think there's, I kept thinking about um, the idea of the death drive <laughs> while reading this. Um, and I think, I think that's something that like kind of um, ties into acting immorally, for lack of a better term, right? Like, yes, because... Yeah. Yeah, because like doing bad things is is bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when you have that youthful 
way about you. You might not necessarily have had the opportunity to live with any consequences just mm -hmm. because you haven't been alive long enough. Um, but yeah, I wanted to get at that youthful immortality. Mm -hmm. Immortality, immorality seem to go together. And, you know, I do wonder if uh, like the human soul in its infancy, when it's just in a human form, uh, just uh, doesn't feel as attached to life as we do as we age. Like, yeah. I remember not worrying about death as a youngster and just uh, assuming everything would work out for the best and that what I did would not have consequences. And, you know, now I'm in my late 30s and I can still feel the bones I broke when I was 14 and it seems mm -hmm. a little more real that uh, we're, we're frail human things that will die. Yeah. And I, I think I think you mention it in the book too that allusion to the the idea that like babies can still remember heaven um, that that certain re uh, religions have is like I like the idea that that is a memory that slowly fades away um, instead of um, I forget which tradition has it but like the reason why you have the dimple is that you're like hanging out in heaven and then when you get called down to be born the angel like puts her finger on your lips to silence you so you don't say all the secrets from the afterlife okay um and i can't remember what tradition that comes from no and i haven't heard that before but, but it doesn't yeah um but i like the idea that it's less sudden than that that like you're not attached to life because you're still kind of like on the other side a little bit as your brain starts to develop. Um, right. You're just on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think even there's an interesting thing with this book too, because like ha being in a bad situation and, and dealing with consequences are not uh, necessarily related to each other right like she she has a bad situation long before she starts like doing mean things mm -hmm. um and yeah i think there's something there too yeah those things seem related and uh you know hurt people hurt people but uh i mean it's also easy enough to just uh become completely passive in the bad situation and just assume that you don't have any agency mm -hmm. where we started out. So yeah. the was certainly conscious and it was certainly evil. Uh, yeah. When she decides to start being mean to people, mm -hmm. <laughs> as you phrase it, but also very nice, right? The devil is very nice. Hmm. Until, uh, but the sense of control yeah. is something I needed to consciously insert yeah. and fight with my own tendency to be like, you know, you can't do that. That's bad. That's wrong. Mm -hmm. Right? It's too aggressive, uh, what she's doing to this poor man down the street. Like, mm -hmm. why would you do that? And it's like the reason because his 
he's weak and she knows she can, mm-hmm. which is definitely a thing that humans do, but we think is wrong. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's like when you're so agency starved, uh, any agency at all becomes attractive. Um, which then becomes, you know, kind of uh, paradoxically like a lack of agency because then you're just giving into your darkest desires. You're not actively choosing anything. You're just kind of exerting a force. Um, but you're not necessarily even really like, if you're not thinking about it very hard and you're not considering it, um, then just because you're exerting force or control on someone else doesn't mean that you're actually under control which i guess is kind of the the point with the devil being inside her from the very beginning yeah i mean you're starting to sound like one of these uh early medieval philosophers oh dear (laughs) (laughs) would argue that when people do wrong it's not of their own accord right Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh that they're simply a slave to their baser desires and they don't actually have any agency at all unless they choose the good willfully Mm mm-hmm yeah, but yeah, only certain choices are free under that concept. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that can be convenient, I think, then, too, right? Because, well, double made me do it. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Uh, maybe don't have a systemic uh, poverty force keeping me down and making me feel uh, weak and useless. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, uh, oh, this is maybe neither here nor there what was we don't have to talk about the the quote specifically but there is a a quote um from uh the life of pythagoras which i which i was tickled by i i think um i i was uh i was curious as to why you chose that specifically um just that i think the pythagorean cult is fascinating and silly i love the pythagorean cult Mm. it's fascinating i don't know how silly it is i think they're getting at something uh especially with their i mean the numerical studies sure and yeah i i used to use that as a way to read plato which uh the same guy does whose quotation i was translating Mm. and i don't know if you read the book title that i was quoting from but it is (laughs) it is i was like is this a list nope nope it's just one title yeah um no but i uh i went through i i picked up the book and i took words and i pasted them together in a way that they did not appear in the original text Mm. and uh there was an earlier draft of this where I interspersed those words with my own words and I was like, nah, take them out and just go full Pythagoras. But I f- really feel like they were getting somewhere with the mathematical reaching for God mm-hmm. and just trying to contain something of the immaterial abstract uh, in a way that's comprehensible to humanity. Yeah, I'm... Triangles. Just triangles. <laughs> the, that period of philosophy is uh, very interesting to me. I, I guess the part that's silly is the stuff about the beans. How they like that's 
Really? Yeah. There's there's this story where they like are being a couple of them are being chased by by somebody I forget who at the moment, and they like basically get trapped because they come across a bean field and they're like, I'm not gonna walk over all those beans. Nope. Yeah, and in the version I heard, it's like you know that's how the Pythagoreans died. Like those mm-hmm. were the last of them, and they were stuck at the edge of the bean field and they just couldn't keep going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it made a little more sense to me when I looked back and like what they're talking about with beans could also be seeds. And then seeds can be like also like semen and eggs. Mm. Then it fits with the general vegetarian vibe if they're not allowed to eat eggs and stuff, right? Sure. Or swallow. So I prefer the interpretation that makes them seem smarter. That's fine. Yeah. No, and I haven't, I've only ever like learned about Pythagoreanism from YouTube videos and podcast episodes. So it's more just kind of like, here's the basis of what they believed. And oh, yes, also they were silly about beans. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I know. I like that interpretation too. That's much better. And and the the whole like dedication to, to secrecy and, um, <laughs> Which just makes them more fascinating because we can't ever know beyond a certain point. And, and even some of the things that we do know feels like we shouldn't know. And, you know, the study of Western esotericism is fun if you're willing to let it be fun for you. So, and, and I am. I'm, I'm bought in. So that's cool. Me too. Um, I'm, I'm I good. love connections and trying to fit together little puzzle pieces by myself and when it's not determined for you you can you have that little bit of freedom for interpretation it's like they might have thought what i want them to think yeah i mean that's academia baby just (laughs) academia baby (laughs) um yeah um another uh Another thing that I liked is the sort of, um, at some point I got the feeling that it was like riddles. Before some of the chapters, there are either italicized or like all caps sections. That's the devil. Yeah. yeah that's the talking. And, uh, yeah. Uh, when I started doing those, they, uh, I started doing them as the Aristotelian square of opposition where you always have a singular positive, a singular negative, a universal positive, and a universal negative. And then it gets a little more nuts as we go along. And I yeah. just uh, started doing automatic writing mm. about through. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. I could feel it shift, um, <laughs> like as the tension ratcheted up. Um, Okay. Yeah, that's the voice of the devil. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so I was right on there. Every now and again, I'm like, just like not sure if if I'm reading things as intelligently as I should be. Um, and I'm not going to tell you. Good. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Vincent. I find Vincent a fascinating character because he has such a such an impact on the story without um getting a lot of screen time Mm -hmm. yeah he's a conduit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he's uh something through which the devil was working certainly 
like she couldn't fully access the consciousness of the devil until um until that fateful devil's threesome mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what that's so funny yeah. i didn't even catch that <laughs> that's on purpose mm-hmm. that's so funny <laughs> um but yeah vincent has a you know mysterious past mysterious presence we don't really know what his motivations are he's not easily categorizable like mm-hmm. uh, the other two yeah. because yeah he's a closer connection to the the evil forces that's interesting were you saying something by making brian catholic and making the devil hang out with the catholic guy a whole bunch <laughs> not at all okay. <laughs> not at all i just uh the time period in which this book is based i was dating a catholic mm. that's it that's all mm. i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you um i feel bad about it even today that's that's what we do we in fact <laughs> i was raised catholic it's um yeah i i think man that guilt thing like it was kind of funny to me when i when i was you know being more on online and seeing memes about that and now that i'm further away from from both of those things i'm like oh no that was really a thing that was like mm-hmm. really a thing like i feel bad about everything i do uh wow <laughs> that's that's really a thing um working on that are you hmm? trying to overcome that yeah omnipresent sense of shame yeah I'm doing this thing now where I just choose to believe people when they say nice things about me. Um, oh, it's hard. <laughs> it's tough, but I don't know. I One of the things, I was talking to a friend, I suppose this is a bit of a non sequitur. Um, I was kind of explaining how my mind works and how when I got on antidepressants, how I, I sort of was able to start, like, talking to myself. Um, mm-hmm. Like, when, like, negative self-talk was coming, I was able to, like, also consciously just be like, no, thank you. Um, and she was like, oh, that's dialectical behavior theory, which is just, apparently that's what it is. It's like recognizing your thoughts and having a conversation with your thoughts to, to think what you want to think. Um, and so I've, I've kind of gotten past the sort of negative self-talk thing now into, uh, using, that to tackle like social anxiety so when people are like hey i enjoyed talking to you i say oh that person enjoyed talking to me (laughs) and it's their problem if they were lying to me it's like you know people are generally saying what they mean Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah rational to think they are yeah um but i mean what if everyone is out to get you I don't know. Then I don't stand a chance and I'll just let it wash over me. Right? Right. Gotta live through that too. Um, I think um, I, I kept feeling... So one of the things, and I don't know if this was because of how I've been trying to sort of shift how I approach um, my peers, I guess, the, the contemporary literature that I read um, or what, but I was... I was not allowing myself to completely buy into the literalness of the devil for most of the book. Um, I was like, this could be a metaphor. Um, 
sort of, you know, I don't read a lot of gothic literature, but I kind of understand that, like, the plausibly supernatural uh, that ends up not being is is a thing, um, especially in, like, locked room mystery type novels and stuff that that heavily, I think, take from from gothic literature. And so I was like, I'm going to hold off on buying in until I am given reason to. Um, and I don't know how that impacted the story for me, like my understanding. I guess I feel like I gave the narrator a lot more credit than I otherwise would have, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was going for a natural sort of devil because, like, he's in our realm. Mm -hmm. He's like, the constant companion of our dear narrator here. Um, like, I don't know how supernatural that is mm -hmm. if is a like material force acting on people um and as i was writing it i was thinking of this time i went to see nick cave sign books and they asked him like why are why are god and the devil in your books and he's just like they're just characters in that world mm. and i was like okay well i'm gonna i have recourse to that too if someone asks so that's the answer that's a character in our world mm. okay um and then uh, Marilyn Monroe makes an appearance, or at least her her influence makes an uh, an appearance mm -hmm. too. And I don't know. Maybe this is just because I'm a boy, um, and and didn't start getting into like film until later, more recently, um, <laughs> relatively. Marks you made her a film. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, like. She's one of those figures where, like, I know she has a lot of influence on people, but I'm I'm not really acquainted with it. I'm not familiar with, you know, I get sort of the iconic things, but I haven't, I don't know if I've seen any of her movies, um, and I'm not, like, familiar with the lore. Um, oh, yeah, I was obsessed. I had all the, all the movies on VHS. They uh, released, like, two sets they were called the diamond collection and like first they had all the popular ones and then like the secondarily popular ones she mm -hmm. must have done like 50 movies because she was oh. under contract to the studio just getting paid shitty just pumping them out just pumping them out but uh she is a total icon and probably the singular source of my sense of humor mm. uh, where you like say something absurd and pretend you haven't mm -hmm. that is her her jam in gentlemen prefer blondes in how to marry a millionaire all the big ones yeah it's, uh, cool. yeah she doesn't seem to know what's going on hmm. <laughs> i can relate maybe i need to watch a whole bunch of marilyn monroe movies and i'll i'll get it um, yep but her sort of influence on i don't know i don't i don't know how to say it so I remember, I feel like this is going to be the second time in a very short period of time I mentioned the time when I went home from high school sick and watched like slam poetry uh, competitions on on uh, on HBO. Um, but I remember as I was fading in and out of of my Dayquil haze, um, mm -hmm. lots of the the female poets invoking her. I feel like both positively and negatively. Um, and you know, this, at this point, this is where 
how many years ago? I'm not going to think about that. I just turned 31 and I don't want to think about how long ago my teenage years was. I can't do the math easily and I don't want to try. Um, but I'm, I must have been like 17. And so very, very dumb about these sorts of things and, um, and very uninformed. And so like, that's kind of like my main jumping off point is that like a lot okay. of people have a lot of strong feelings about her with regard to like how women see themselves and how the world sees women. Um, yeah. yeah. Like there's a, a contemporary correlate. If you watch the Barbie movie, mm -hmm. it's like, yes, women's empowerment, et cetera, but also you're the product of capitalism and meant mm. as a product uh, to be gazed upon or whatever. And something with very little agency, which is also the focus of the blonde movie that mm. came out last year. That was a great movie. Was it? Mm -hmm. okay i i heard lots of again lots of conflicting things about it um it's by the guy who does all the nick cave documentaries and wow. like nick cave and warren ellis did the soundtrack mm. and it so, is not a blockbuster it is a film yeah <laughs> it's an air quotes film um yeah. i know i definitely like spoke out loud to my wife i'd like to see that movie at some point and i don't think we we talked about it before that but like i don't know it's kind of that like uh that both directions thing because isn't that based on a, a book by joyce carol oates who is similarly like um polarizing i suppose um and it seems like even nick cave recently had a had a moment where some people became very disappointed in him because he yeah paraphrased conservatives the new punk rock or whatever um mm, yeah i think that's sold a lot especially by conservatives mm -hmm. and uh, we wonder you know how long a public figure should con continue to express their opinions for all to consider sure <laughs> yeah yeah but uh i think he's keeping up it was yeah it was I don't know. Poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> and Joyce Carol Oates, I'm not fully versed on mm -hmm. uh, what she's been up to. I have tweeting you know, a lot, Twitter, apparently. Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I know people who like whom I trust who have, are very suspicious of her. So mm. I'm yeah. just I'll, I'll choose to be wary. That's fine. I think I think that's a good plan for a whole bunch of people the the only thing i knew about her until very recently was that she had written a lot of books and people asked her how could you possibly write so many books and she said i sit down at my computer for eight hours a day and write um which is a very frank um thing to say and something that like makes a lot of sense to me as a person who's um you know who wants to be prolific I don't know. Could you do this day job style? Um, I, I want to believe I could, but I did have almost a year where really my only distraction was a small child and really only did one book um, and one first draft of one book at that um, in addition, right? I was saying before this, I've been I've been working on the same YouTube video essay script for like nine months now too, and it's like 
it still has a lot of work. Um, yeah, I know for a fact I couldn't do that. I just, a couple of months unemployed, I'm like, I'm going to write all day. Fucking shit. It was awful. <laughs> everything, everything I wrote, mm. there was no heart, no soul to it. That's interesting. And that's a, that's a whole other conversation. But I find that so interesting because I do so well at NaNoWriMo or with NaNoWriMo because it forces me to write because I have to hit the goal. Like I set the, or the arbitrary goal is set for me, which is even better. And there's still no accountability. Nobody cares. And especially at this point, if I were to not do NaNo this year or fail, everyone would be like, yeah, but she did it for like eight years in a row. You have all those novels. Like who cares? Um, but even still, there's a website with a graph and the graph tells me where I'm supposed to be and where I am, and that's all I need. Yeah, you're going to have to live up to that. Um, Eight years in a row would be a massive failure if you gave up now. See, there we go. This is what I need. This is the, this is the correct uh, type of support to give me. November is coming. I need to see some word counts. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited about this year. Um, so let's get let's finish with the end. And again, okay. we we're we're shifting to more vagueness um yep. but we go into a sort of film script mm -hmm. uh type thing so it it pulls the reader back um yep. which which funnily enough is something that i've been thinking about how changing perspective like that changes the audience's impression of the of the events because um oakley hall's uh book warlock does that where um it's mostly in just like regular old third person um but one character who barely appears in the main action has a journal that appears throughout the book um mm -hmm. that is um a nice counterpoint to the dialogue um and so we we pull back from our our narrator into this filmic version of what happens uh where stuff goes so far off the rails so fast um let's talk about that briefly let's talk about that briefly um, so yeah go ahead the idea came from a an album i was listening to because uh, i pulled out all of my old goth post goth albums mm. to listen to while i was writing and uh, roland s howard has one called teenage snuff film mm. that i had on uh ordered into the record store <laughs> and put up on my record player um, but it has the effect and here's you know why it's a great idea and it's uh takes you out of the inner monologue that the narrator has been just forcing on you this whole book and like in the film script version there is there's only room for perception and dialogue that is actually spoken aloud so it's a complete cutoff of the inner monologue of the narrator and it's like all you've got now is what's happening yeah um and what happens is and i was like i hope this <laughs> you hope it what <laughs> i hope it works oh it did um because yeah what happens is 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 so so crazy so like you know like i said i was sort of keeping how supernatural is this um <laughs> at bay 
uh, until until things like it, until the filmic part started happening, and so like again, I'm, it's not necessarily supernatural, like you said. Um, and there's there's not a ton that is like completely unexplainable by the rules of of the universe or anything. But it goes from a sort of auto fiction style novel to um, something else something else entirely um and then uh the last scene is also another thing that sort of endeared me to this book the first like short story length short story i wrote in my fiction workshop class in college uh has the main character basically doing the same thing that your main character does oh cool um (laughs) And, <laughs> yeah, and and I was so proud of that ending, uh, and nobody thought it worked in in oh. my short story, and oh. so this is vindication for me. There were a whole lot of reasons why the why in my short story it did not work, um, mostly because I was a baby writer at the time and was doing lots of things uh, poorly um, for what I wanted to achieve. Um, but yes, this was like vindication. It endeared me to the book because I instantly noticed what was happening. Um, and then I was like, oh, and it works really well. This is a great ending to a book. Fantastic. Oh, I, didn't, you know, I did that for you, but I'm so happy I did. <laughs> this, this book was, was factory made, was tailor made. It's like, you know, this is one of those like Nathan Fielder things where the camera's going to pan out and like my wife and all my friends are in the room with you and they're like, we did it. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> It. <laughs> we wrote the per- perfect book for Joe. Good job, everyone. Now we could all fade into the darkness. Um, having served our purpose. <laughs> it turns out you were the only consciousness all this time. Oh, God. I hope not. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so bad if solipsism was real. Right? Um, and, and it was me. Uh, oh. <laughs> A lot of pressure. And why would I be doing all of this to myself? Um, yeah, that's a good question. You know, you if might... I was really in control of all of reality, I would I would make it a little bit nicer. I'd like to think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would hope so. So. So yeah, um, we're 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 a little bit past thirty minutes. I just want to keep talking about this book, and so normally I try to like leave off. On, on like you saying a poignant thing um but you right. keep doing that and i keep just i i keep talking <laughs> because i like the book so much um so yeah, yeah we can just do this forever i got uh i got nothing planned um let's un- unfortunately I, I i will have to sleep at some point so let's do this let's let's try what what would you after everything we've talked about this evening uh, what would you like to leave the listener off with um well i think they need to read this book and uh i mean so far i've been getting pretty good reactions but I'm aware, I'm aware when I wrote this, it's not going to be 
universally beloved. Um, but I really hope it just finds the people it's meant to find because that's what makes me feel good. Thank you.